I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our limited edition podcast for Decoded Pride Issue 2. We are super pumped to have you with us, and today we're speaking with a small round table of creators about their creative process, why queer speculative fiction matters so much, and where you can pick up our amazing new anthology. Spoiler, it's at dakotapride.com. Hey everybody, I'm just gonna, we have a few people on this call, so I'm just gonna have everybody introduce themselves and say what their story is. Hey, uh, I am Dora D. Rogers, she, her. Uh, my story was Delon at the Shrine, uh, and it is a sort of fantasy adventure about two women exploring an abandoned temple. Hi, my name is Maurice Moore, and my story is called Sugar and Cece, and it's about two queer teenagers from the South who go on an adventure. Hello, my name is Ariadne, and my story is called The Iliad Improved. Uh, it's a comic about uh, the three goddesses, Athena, Aphrodite, and Artemis, uh, finding love uh, with each other. Yeah, <laughs> I love all of these stories, so this is extremely exciting to be able to talk to everybody. I just wanted to ask everybody whenever, I mean, I know that inspiration always comes in so many different ways, and you know, it's every different story has its own process behind it. So what was the inspiration behind your story? What was the thing that made you want to write the story that you ended up writing for Decoded? Uh, I can start. Um, so Dylan at the Shrine is, if I had to say, give one 
single inspiration, I might say the novel The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie, um, which is a fantasy novel that centers around a transmasculine pro- protagonist and has a few other queer characters. And a lot of the really memorable moments in that book were moments where these queer people were talking to each other about their identities, but they didn't have modern language. And um, I just thought that was really interesting and it intersects with something that I find really fascinating and I think I I wish was better known in sort of like mainstream culture, which is that um, queerness and, you know, gender diversity have existed throughout human history, not necessarily with the language that we have today, uh, but they've always sort of been with us in one form or another. And it's really exciting to me because it, you know, means that there is this whole history and legacy and, you know, it means that we may like, you know, our terminology may not actually be better than the terminology that people had in some place a thousand years ago. Um, and but that's really exciting, you know, that we, we are connected to this whole, this whole history. So those are the two of the things that were uh, twining together in my mind uh, when I wrote Dellen at the Shrine. Uh, the Iliad Improved, uh, like I said before, is uh, a short comic book about uh, how the Iliad, uh, Homer's epic, could have been uh, could have been more inspiring and misogynistic. Um, what inspired me to write it is that I've grown up in a very traditional um, Greek uh, community here in Athens. Um, and ancient Greece was always uh, kind of uh, a big thing in this country uh, where you are supposed to follow certain rules and traditions and a way of life in order to to honor your ancestors. Um, even though our ancestors would not care about any of these things. Um, and growing up, I loved our tradition, but at the same time, I always felt it excluded uh, queer people a lot, and I really disliked the misogyny in it. So uh, my inspiration was the need to see um, Greek gods think what Greek gods uh, do best, uh, be gay, (laughs) do love, Um, and I wanted to see the goddesses be beyond to each other's good side and not fight as they usually do. Um, that's my inspiration. Uh, yes, uh, my story um, was inspired by a lot of different things. Um, I think it's interesting that we have so many queer ancestors that we don't know about and there's so many queer people that we don't know about now, but I like to think that we're passing on wealth to our descendants. So I wanted to tell a love story about our future um, (laughs) descendants um, just falling in love, just dating like, you know, some young people do or just having crushes. So that was sort of the inspiration behind Sugar and Cece, just some of the things I didn't get to do um, growing up. I, um, in a way, kind of lived that um, like first loves and being out or things like that um, do some of the pieces that I write. And I I thought this reading the stories too, that there's a really strong through line between the three pieces. Um, Because I I think I would have, I think I could have predicted like both of your answers to some degree. And uh, because they're, they're very close to mine in a lot of ways, right? It's sort of 
writing our stories into both into history and also into like genres where we don't usually see it. Um, Ariadne, I was really excited when I read your comic because it's it's certainly the my story is not in a historical place, but um, I've I've always loved like ancient Greece and um, you know that era in, in history and and mythology, and I very much had it in mind as I was kind of thinking about and making assumptions about the world, about the way that temples worked and the way religion worked and the way that people fight with each other. Um, so I, I was really excited to see that that through line, and I like I feel like there's a real yearning for ancestry or connection with the past in all three of our pieces and I, th- I think that's really cool I mean um, I absolutely agree with you um, I think that regardless of whether we uh, one lives and grows up in uh, a place with you know a long history uh, like Greece or in places like the United States that are kind of more modern uh, that longing for roots uh, is there, especially for queer people? Um, like, I would be really curious to hear your take on it because um, it's it's interesting that we always need to find representations of ourselves in our past to feel good about ourselves. And we need to make these representations um, not harmful or toxic for us because at least for me that's that was a very big problem growing up you know um family telling me that my our ancestors would be rolling in their graves if they knew how the young people live um yeah i I just want to hear what you have to say oh i was gonna say um you mentioned about the um the gods or you know not fighting and i think that's very interesting because i was thinking about when people think about um, like people of the African African American diaspora, it's always about our blues, and I think that we have more hues than blues. So I think the blues and sorrows, that's things that are important. But I don't want everything I create to be about violence and abuse and the the things that we like suffer. I want it to be about our joys. So there may be obstacles that the characters have to overcome, but um, there's something about writing things that aren't just centered around um, our suffering. I feel like a lot of stories can sort of rely on those tropes. So my characters are queer and they live to the end. And if they do, you know, pass away, it's through like natural causes and, you know, they can become elders and senior citizens. So um, that's what I think is interesting about us being able to um, write our stories on our own terms. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's true and really great. And I, I think there's an interesting continuum. Like I've got to say, for people who uh, haven't read the stories yet, like I think that Mauricio and I have like both of our stories are really fun and combine a degree of like there, there's a there's a lot of emphasis on finding hope in kind of darker, challenging situations. And then Ariadne, I just loved. Like, yours is so fun and light and joyous, and I just, I really love that. It's, uh, I think, to your point, Maurice, just, like, adding adding joy to these kinds of stories is really wonderful, and this is a really good opportunity for us to, to do it. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that that desire to kind of put yourself into the past in some ways, or at least see yourselves in some some parts of it, right, is to be like, 
and to be like, yes, there, there was always queer people and there was always joy is definitely something, of course, that is pretty dear to our heart. So I am glad to hear that from everybody. So I was going to ask, everybody has kind of a different format that they wrote. There's obviously a short story format. There is um, Sugar and Cece, which was kind of transcript, right? And then there is a comic. So how was there a big conscious decision behind how you chose what format in which to tell the story? Um, well, I'll, I'll go first. I, um, my format kind of reads like a, a script. Um, and I do that because I, I love movies. I love film. I grew up on, you know, MTV and television um, and that era. And there's something about how just that, that it looks like a script, it kind of easier for me to like envision, uh, envision that I'm watching a play or a movie. Um, but also I'm neurodiverse. So I've always had issues with writing and spelling and keeping the characters separate. Um, it helps it not get jumbled up in my head when I am writing. So I use this script format to like kind of help me with my um, neurodiversity and things like that. Uh, so that's sort of how I uh, chose this format. I also um, and I'm, am a visual artist, so it's interesting to kind of blur the lines and kind of play with these sort of so-called standard way of um, writing and engaging with art. I feel that a lot of career spaces seem to promote um, experimentation with different forms. There's a lot of fluidity, so I definitely try to play on that with um, the pieces that I create. That's really interesting to hear you're a visual artist, and I, I can see how it expresses itself in in the, the work. It, there were a few moments where I was like, oh, that's really interesting to to sort of like uh, engage with the visuals of this in that specific way. And it, it makes a lot of sense that you have that background. I think that's really cool. Um, on my part, the reason for choosing a comic book format is both because Obviously, like, I love comic books. This is kind of what I want to do uh, in my life as a career to illustrate. Uh, but there's also uh, another issue. Um, like, the comic book scene in Greece is a very independent-minded scene uh, where you're going to find um, people uh, doing all sorts of styles because there is no real industry here. So there's... Profit is cannot uh, distort what people want to do here, um, but whenever it comes to antiquity, like the Greek gods are all always pro portrayed as muscly and realistic, and you know, great and powerful. And I just thought it would be <laughs> very fun to just do away with all of that and present them as cute and curvy and uh, sweet and you know just raise um uh raise the middle finger to uh how narrow-minded we view them because we treat them as if i don't know uh they were part of uh, um the expandables or uh a silver Stallone film uh these days and that's not how i like to think of my cats I love that. Um, for Delaneth at the Shrine, um, I think that the... the It's interesting. I, I'm sort of not sure now that I think about it why I went in this direction, but the the inspirations are definitely very like kind of pointedly literary, actually. Um, I mentioned The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. It was also the 
um, one of the strong things I, I mean, one of the, one of the, the setting of the story is this temple that's on top of a mountain and the image of the mountain and like the snow, you know, this is like very high, rocky, snowy mountain was one of the first things that I had. And in a lot of ways, like I was actually thinking of, um, the fellowship of the ring when I wrote that. Um, so that's interesting. I also, I don't actually know the character Conan at all, like Conan the Adventurer, but uh, the title is kind of intentionally a nod to to Conan and like the. I kind of wanted to call on the idea that Dal- this adventurer Delon might have other adventures and they might have had a long career, and this is one moment in that career as they're exploring the world around them. So it really was. Uh, I, I think it. Mine is probably the most traditional prose fiction and I, it feels like that really flowed out of the influences that I was thinking about as I wrote it. Kind of to that end, is there anything about your story that you plan on revisiting or exploring further in the future? Uh, I can speak to this first maybe since I, I just dropped that. Um, not consciously, but I do really like the idea that the framework is there uh, and that the character is there. Um, because I would, I really, the, the unspoken reason that I wrote this story is that I just wanted like a trans lady to go ham with a sword. So, uh, I, you know, I, there's always opportunity for more of that, I guess, uh, now that mm-hmm. I have the character, but, um, I did, it's, it's funny, like the, the, this particular piece for me was pretty tough to write and I wrote it like, <laughs> I essentially rewrote it completely three times and, a lot of it was because I was sort of exploring all of these things around the story that I ended up writing, which is like, you know, it's, it's the climax of this larger story, if you want to think of it that way. Um, so I have all of these things now that I've written down about like the city that one of the characters is from and like their traveling companions who they talk about who, but you don't really meet. Um, so yeah, there's some interesting material to work with there and it might be fun to come back to eventually. Uh, I, Personally, I uh, love drawing uh, anything um, related to antiquity in general. So, yes, uh, even just uh, the setting is one that I revisit constantly. So this is not the only ancient Greek uh, kind of thing, related thing that I do. Um, I-, I would personally love if I could, you know... Um, write down scripts about um, the, the Greek gods living their life in all sorts of different ways that are not conventional. Um, yeah, I I think it's a very rich... Um, uh, how do you call it? Uh, culture to make fun of and have fun with. Um, yeah, that's all. Um, yes, I, I do definitely plan on revisiting um, different aspects of the story. Um, I think it's interesting because I, I write short stories. So, like, you know, if Shook and Cece get together, they have um, babies, they have grandbabies and things like that. Um, I like in the worlds that I create that the, all the characters are queer and they have, you know, they're you know, some of them are together, some of them are not, but, you know, they have kids, and I like that I'll leave it open to, like, how they have kids, um, but um, I just have this way of imagining our families kind of being centered and not it being, like, some 
you know, wow, I can't believe you people are together. But like, you know, it's just like, I want to say normal, but it's just how things are and, and it isn't questioned. So I think revisiting um, the characters in different way, like their ancestors or their descendants, um, is sort of how I want to um, revisit it. But I'm also interested in like doing maybe drawings or um, um, like coming up with performances to kind of add to the story. So um, just revisiting them in different ways. That is so interesting. Yeah, I I notice, I guess, as you go along, right, everybody kind of has themes and things that they revisit over time. Uh, was there anything that you learned about your own creative process while you were working on these stories? Oh, does anyone else want to go first? <laughs> no, you go for it. <laughs> um, well, I learned that I, um, I can never be too happy with what I do. Um, honestly, it was uh, kind of a pain in the butt to do uh, this comic because uh, first I did concept art for it and then I was not happy with it even though I knew the script. Uh, basically, it, it kind of forced me to uh, start thinking about when enough is enough, when um, I need to drop the drafts and uh, just go on with the work and tell to myself, okay, Ariadne, you're going to take a deep breath. I know you're not happy with it, but you're going to have to live <laughs> with whatever imperfection you see and, uh, um, you know, um, allow yourself to finish the work because you're never going to be a hundred percent happy with it. Um, and it's uh it's the first time I've tried to do like a story story kind of thing usually I do strips so it was pretty fun to experiment with that um I definitely echo what you said about always having to <laughs> this is a lesson I feel like I I know about myself but I always have to relearn it that you know it's you you really just have to walk away <laughs> or you'll never actually finish um the the big thing, I mean, along those lines, I sort of, I mentioned that I did a lot of rewriting for this, um, but it, it was very, which was very informative. I was going to say like, but, but I think it's actually, and that was very informative about my process. Um, I'm very like, something I noticed about myself writing this is that I'm very logistical and I like to get into the details of like, who's moving and like where people are and do they have like enough to eat while they're there and like you know, these very sort of mundane details and uh it, you know I have sort of action sequences in mind and I was very like got very caught up in the choreography of that um and I always want to explore things I think a lot of the reason why I write is to sort of ask myself questions about the story that I'm telling so I would just have, I would say, I really want to get to know these characters I'm referring to. So uh, even though they're not really central to the story, I'm just going to, I'm just going to learn about them and have some, have some conversations that they have. And later on, I would sort of be like, okay, I've created an unholy mess. <laughs> I need to really cut this down um, and focus on the stuff that has like the most heat and is the most interesting. So uh, that was, I'd say those were all things that I kind of knew about my creative process, but I think that this uh, was made a lot of things really clear to me that I haven't necessarily been as clear on before. 
Um, in terms of me, my creative process, um, I'm a visual artist performer, um, but I mainly think about the work that I create is, is drawing. So there are 2D drawings, but can there be 3D drawings? Can there be 4D drawings? Can there be text pieces? So for me, the line exists uh, through different mediums, um, and the line is just as thick or thin or easy or hard as they are in the text pieces and they are in my 2D pieces. Um, but I am applying a lot of things that I've learned in drawing to like the different ways that I write. So when I write these short stories, I'm thinking of gesture drawings. Um, they're really quick, um, sort of, and you just write and then, you know, that's the end of the, the piece. You're not spending like months on it. Um, another thing I added is to think about language. Um, so I'm using a lot of Southern Avi, that's African, African-American vernacular English. Uh, I mean, vernacular. So I'm thinking about how language is definitely, it has power, but it's also used against us. So I think that the power we have is um, queer people to invent our own languages or reclaim our own languages or how we talk to each other and our expressions. I definitely want to put that in the work because I feel like that's not, um, I mean, we celebrate it, but I feel like that's not celebrated sort of as a whole or seen as um, equal in a lot of different ways. So uh, my process has just been to kind of, and writing is very new to me, which is a like, but it can be scary. So it's like, I don't know when to stop or, um, you know, I know where to start, but it, it just gets complicated. But I just try to apply some things that I've learned from visual arts to the way I write. Yeah, definitely. I think it works really well. Is there a genre that you haven't written in that you would like to give a try coming up in the future? This is an interesting question. Um, so I think that um, the, the big one for me, uh, which this story is not, okay. Delon of the Shrine is not, is not, not a romance. Um, it has some romantic elements, which were very important to me. Mm. I really want to write a just a straight fantasy novel. Excuse me. When I say that, what I mean is a very <laughs> gay fantasy novel. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, that is, I, I would love to just write like 300, 300 pages of girls staring into each other's eyes, but then they're sad because of something and but then they can be together um so that's that's definitely my answer so basically you want to write lord of the gays or um the oh yeah like I'm, I'm there lord lord of, lord of the gay ring and at the end the rings are their wedding rings that they, they exchange they hold hands they look into each other's eyes would read just saying I mean, uh, if I if I can say something before anyone else comments, uh, I think that's actually it's really fun to hear you say this because that reminds me of how people were looking for um, gay context in uh, stuff like um, the Lord of the Rings, uh, Sam's and Frodo's relationship, <laughs> yep. and to me that was always kind of mysterious because. Like, here in the Balkans, uh, guys hug and kiss each other all the time as a sign of friendship. So it was, you know, really weird to see people thinking that 
two guys being friends, friends is equivalent to gayness. And I'm like, yeah, I, I wish someone would write actual gay fantasy. So please do it. I, I would die to read it. Awesome. They should, yeah, they should just kiss on that mountain. There's just like none of this holding hand stuff. That's really funny to hear you had that experience, uh, you know, relating to the, you know, the, the phenomenon around those movies. Because obviously, yeah, in the U.S. it really is it's it's tough a lot of times it's it's really looked down on for guys to be physically affectionate with each other okay uh i'll go uh i'll it's my turn but can someone remind me what the question was <laughs> yeah of course i was wondering if i needed to say it again because i also kind of i was on a tangent thinking about things all right so is there a genre that you haven't written in that you'd like to try? Like, is there anything that you haven't, uh, any realm that you haven't really ventured into, I guess, as a creator that you'd like to go into? Oh, um, well, normally what the, the genre I write in is horror. That's my kind of thing. Um, but the genre that I'm always extremely afraid of is comedy. Um, because I don't know, like uh, it's always very difficult to to find the confidence to say, ah, this can actually this is actually funny. This can make people smile and have a laugh uh, without it being cruel. Because that's sort of the most of the comedy I see around us. Uh, and if anyone has any comedy to recommend that's not cruel, that's actually funny and sweet, I would love to hear that. Um, so that's kind of what I want to do, you know, I would want to just sit down and, uh, write sweet comedy about how ridiculous this whole culture I live in and love is, and, you know, make fun of, uh, the very silly things, uh, about it, like... Uh, I'm always fr frustrated when I watch Greek comedies that people outside of Greece, um, Greek and Balkan comedies in general, uh, the people outside of Greece um, uh, watch because I feel like it's only the stereotypes, you know, the, um, for example, the, the stereotype of the Greek person who thinks that Greeks invented everything. And I know that there is so much more ridiculousness going around here and there's so much material to push out there. And yeah, that's all. Um, I guess for me, um, I, like I said, I come from a drawing background and for me, I figured, I found that when you draw, people tend to think there are only two genres, like, um, people who draw, we're only trying to make photorealistic drawings and then everything else is abstract. So for me, I'm thinking about like, you know, what are bebop drawings? What are pop drawings? What are country drawings? What are classical drawings? Um, just drawing, just as many different genres as I can create um, and kind of explore is, you know, what I want to do. But for me, I um, I do this thing that I learned in school. It's called practices research. So it's not just reading theory and the criticism. It's like there's a knowing coming from um, writing science fiction. So just to throw yourself and immerse yourself in there and then what happens, happens. So like that's kind of how I'm approaching my creative um, process now. Um, and just seeing what kind of comes out out of me as a, a, a creative. Because um, I didn't know so many um, 
people of color and queer people wrote, you know, science fiction and fantasy and stuff like that. So it's like learning about Octavia Butler um, and the worlds that she created. Like I knew we could act in films, you know, like things like that, but I didn't know that we actually could create science fiction or speculative fiction or all these different worlds. Um, and I know that we existed, but it's just, you know, people either don't talk about their queerness or their race that we just don't know necessarily growing up. So um, it's just interesting to kind of approach it that way. What made you choose to submit to Decoded? Do you submit stories often to a variety of uh, collections or was this your first submission? Where was everybody at on that? Uh, this was actually my first submission, at least in a long time. And I'm trying to um, get back on that horse a little bit. Um, but so I've, I guess I have kind of a cute story about why I submitted to Decoded in particular, which is that um, I had sort of made a resolution that I was going to start writing more. And I had been, but uh, I you know, wasn't even thinking yet about getting anything published anywhere. And my girlfriend uh, <laughs> sent me a link to Decoded and was like, I challenge you to submit to this. Um, which I then did. So um, that's my decoded origin story. Mm, that's so cute. Best girlfriend ever. She is. She's, she's great. Shout out, Allison. Um, well, I'm new to writing. I maybe started like like writing text maybe in 2018. Um, it's just something I continued. But like the like past year, I just decided I wanted to learn more about the the publishing industry and what it's like to work with editors and this field that it, this could be a field for me in the future. Um, so I definitely want to find as many queer and um, black and POC centered and um, neurodiverse centered publications as I can. Uh, there's just a lot of freedom um, in these publications and that, you know, they don't charge you and you can have simultaneous submissions and you can kind of be more open about who you are and your, your queerness and they don't like follow so many rules about like the language that we write in or the, the grammar and spelling. So um, that's why, you know, publications like Decoded kind of were perfect for me. So, um. uh, well, what I liked about Decoded is the fact that um, it's going to be, it's a bunch of uh, queer people from all around the world. There's, nothing that can hold me back in terms of uh, expressing myself um, and it, it feels like uh, an anthology that is very interested to the to readers who are uh, queer and that means I don't have I, I felt that I didn't need to uh, censor myself in any way you know I didn't need to think oh god th there's gonna be like this is straight person that uh, make it the wrong idea by reading uh, deco my story uh, about how you know gay people or trans people are and it's could express myself freely and that's what I loved about Decoded yeah awesome I'm so glad um so I just have one last question, which is, what is coming up for you? What's going to be the next thing that you work on? Um, I So I don't have anything to announce, but I am, like I said, I am sort of getting out and pounding the pavement virtually um, and trying to submit to a bunch of places. So I, I hope to have more in the future. I've also been... 
uh, to mention my girlfriend again, uh, Allison's a game designer, and I've been doing a lot of work with her on like this and that, collaborating on things in that space. Um, right now, although it, as of, depending on when this airs, this may no longer be true, uh, airs the podcast air, I don't know, but depending on when you're listening to this, this may or may not be true, but uh, right now some of my work is on sale at uh, TCAF, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, um, at the Soft Chaos booth, which is uh, her co-op. Um, so what's coming next for me is I'm also going to partake in a small Kickstarter about uh, trans experiences very, very shortly. Um, and I have more uh, queer comics coming on. Uh, but my main thing is I'm trying to become a horror illustrator and I have a project called Vessels of Flesh and I plan to just dedicate 24-7 uh, my entire time uh, onto this and trying to make, you know, uh, lovely, queer, sexy horror. Uh, that's kind of my big dream and maybe publish an art book. Um, so... You know, if somebody listens to this interview, like, uh, in 2040, I hope I made it. Uh, that's all I can say. Uh, what's next? Um, I'm just publishing and exhibiting a lot of different work. Um, I hope to um, do collaborations with other creatives in the future, because um, I think it would be interesting if um, someone could sign or either, or like in black American sign language, or maybe there is a, um, Latinx, like Afro Latinx, um, vernacular Spanish. So I think it would be interesting to kind of see a piece that I create kind of, um, translate it into different ways of, um, knowing and speaking. So that's probably what I want to do next. So excited for what everybody has coming up. Is there anything else that you want people to know about your story before we say goodbye? Um, I want people to know that um, uh, it's a story I made with a lot of love. Uh, I hope it brings a smile on their face. And I, if you're also from a culture like mine that tends to take itself too seriously, never feel guilty about, you know... Uh, wanting to go against that because life doesn't have to be, you know, uh, full on serious all the time and grunt. Uh, it's more fun when it's just uh, lighthearted and um, yeah, uh, my brain starts working. But but you get the point. <laughs> I just want to say that if anybody ever makes fan art of my characters, you should tweet it at me. And I hope you ship them as much as I do. Um, I guess for me, um, I did. I grew up and I didn't have a lot of, um, I don't remember a lot of love stories, of, you know, growing up besides Pedro and Sean from the real world. Those were like the first two queer people of color that I ever saw, like being together in a relationship and they weren't like accessories and um, they were actually in love and together. So like, uh, that's sort of what I want people to take away from the story. It's just a simple um, love story. Oh, that's so amazing. Everyone has been so amazing chatting. Is there, does anybody else have any more questions? I, I just kind of want to say that I, I hope things go so well that um, 
we managed to meet at some point and discuss these stories face to face because I, 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 will, I would love to meet all of you. That's all. Yes, I completely agree. Yes, the same. <laughs> I opened the folder. I was like, oh, wow, there's so many amazing stories with um, the visuals. So like, that was very beautiful. So thank you both. Yes, absolutely. And it's been really nice talking to you as well. For me, it's been incredibly nice talking to all of you. This is amazing. I loved all of your stories. Once again, I probably can't say that enough. But as an editor, of course, we had so, so many people send stuff in that was just so, so good. And I just loved every every single one we chose. I loved many, many that we didn't get to choose. And I'm so glad all of you got into the anthology. And it is because your stories are incredible, once again. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, if you want to support Decoded Pride, you can go to decodedpride.com and buy a subscription for, I believe, $15 now, and that helps us do our thing. So today we heard from Maurice Moore. They can be found on Instagram at Maurice underscore Moore underscore art. That's M-A-U-R-I-C-E and then M-O-O-R-E. And then also can be found on Twitter under Maurice underscore arts. Dora D. Rogers can be found on Twitter at Dora D underscore. So that's D-O-R-A-D-E-E underscore. You can also find her work at dcity.itch.io. So that's D-E-E-C-I-T-Y dot I-T-C-H dot I-O. Ariadne can be found on Instagram at A-R-I-A-D-N-E-T-Z-N. That's where you're going to find the safe for work stuff, the not safe for work horror stuff. You can find at Vessels of Flesh on Twitter or at artstation.com slash Vessels of Flesh. Vessels is V-E-S-S-E-L-S-O-F-F-L-E-S-H. Thanks again for everybody. And of course, I'm Sarah Century. You can find me at sarahcentury.com or on Twitter at Sarah Century. You could follow my Instagram, but it's mostly pictures of my cats. Depending on what your level of interest in that is, I kind of don't follow people back too much, but it's nothing personal. Feel free to partake in the cat pics if you'd like. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.